Hey, hey, welcome back to On the Battlefield with Father Michael Marcantonio and me, Father Joseph Collins, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst the struggles and suffering of life. Father Michael, great to be back with you today. Uh, why don't you tell everyone where they can find us online and on social media? Outstanding. Always good to be here. Always good to record. Of course, you can find us on Anchor FM on the battlefield, uh, which share that is our main platform. It shares out over Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course on social media, Facebook, on the Battlefield Podcast. And uh, it is a bi-weekly podcast presently, and on our non-podcast weeks, we do have the On the Battlefield Shorts, the OTB Shorts, which is uh, the audio-visual side of this podcast. Uh, that is over our YouTube page and Rumble, and of course we do share that over uh, the Facebook as well. Uh, OTB shorts are, you know, while the podcast is kind of long form, the OTB shorts is just sort of brief little vignettes and musings from either myself or Father Joseph on just things that we're tossing around in preparation for the podcast. So it's, uh, you know, it, they're, they're shorter, they are a lot less formal and structured. It's just kind of like the fun behind the scenes, like, okay, here's some ideas we're tossing around. And, and they're, they're, they're quick, as the name implies, little clips. So uh, do check those out. And uh, remember to share and send us your comments so that we can... Uh, we, we've had a lot of really interesting discussions based off the comments that we get. So keep those coming in. Absolutely. Thank you so much for everybody for out there that does comment and participates. It, it means an awful lot to Father Michael and myself. So let's get to it. We today are going to be speaking about faith. This is a big topic that I'm sure has already triggered a lot of preconceived notions in our listeners' minds. But today, I think that, I know that, Father Michael and I are going to challenge some of those notions. We're going to endeavor to explore the world of faith and the meaning of faith in a, in a more whole and deeper way. So the word faith, you know, that, that most of us are uh, used to, I think, or at least myself, uh, is, is twofold. It, it comes from either a modern understanding of what faith is, and that's just really kind of a cognitive state where we, we have certain beliefs about certain things, and, and they're merely cognitive ideas and assurances that we have in certain things. Or it comes from our, our understanding here in the West of, of scriptures. And let's stop and challenge that as well, that, that the scriptures, when we read St. Paul, when we read St. James or St. Peter through the Gospels, we are reading writings penned by men who are on missionary expeditions, who are teaching the kerygma, who are giving the teachings of Jesus Christ to an entirely new group of people in an almost entirely new way. But underneath that giving of the teachings of Christ's incarnation, his life on earth, his miracles, his crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension, these, these primary things that men are to believe in for their faith, there is underneath those also a call to action. There's to be a transforming faith. There's this faith in believing in Christ, 
as a trustworthy God who, who did these things on our behalf. But then that has to transcend and move into the realm of action and into the inner part of our life. Uh, so I'm going to kick it over to you, Father Michael. Um, just that that basic introduction of of needing to have an understanding of of kerigma and then moving past the, the basic understandings of Scripture into a more intense inner life of faithfulness to Christ, and then also challenge the Western idea, the more modern scientific relativistic ideas of what faith is. Yeah, I've so where I have found. So where I found discussions on faith to be so very unuseful, like the exact opposite of useful, um, is that it gets put into this framework where it just becomes this sort of divorced uh, from reality, divorced from a fleshed out sense of uh, just believe and trust. And that's great, but you, you've still got life to live. Like, you know, you, you've still got to get up in the morning and, you know, yeah, you can have, yes, you need to have faith that God will provide for you. You still got to go to work. You still got to pay your bills. You still got to cook food. Um, you know, you, you, you can have faith that God is, uh, you know, that God is sanctifying you, but you've still got to, you know, stop like, you know, Christ. Christ is, Christ is merciful to sin, but he's merciful insofar as we respond to the gospel. So like when the woman is caught in adultery, he says to her, go and sin no more. It's like, okay, you're not dying today, but you've got to stop. That was a sin. Go and do it no more. Go and do it no more. Stop. I mean, so, and, and I, I get caught in, it's this funny thing because I always took it as uh, being raised as I was in the church, I always took it as just a, a, an understood thing that if you believed your actions must of necessity match that, like it just makes sense, you know, like it doesn't make sense to have a belief that then the actions don't correspond to. And then I, I get into uh, adult life and I meet so many people who they, they really do believe that to have faith, to have belief has nothing to do with your actions, has nothing to do with what you do. Um, and there's a, a false dichotomy that gets put up, um, you know, where, where, where believing intellectually and any kind of doing or put at odds with each other. Um, and I, I just don't see it in the scriptures. I, I, it only happens if you divorce the words from their context. So like, notably, uh, like, for example, if you look at every instance where Paul talks about works, he's always talking about, he's not talking about just doing any good thing. He's talking about works of the law and very specifically the works of the law involved with initiation into the old covenant, like mandatory circumcision, like mandatory mosaic law. So, the, so it's, it's real specific, you know, very specific, whereas he also talks about he also talks about in the same letters to Corinthians and so forth about putting aside the unfruitful works of the flesh and the unfruitful works of darkness and doing the works of the light and the works of the spirit. You know, he's not at odds with himself, but we create this dichotomy because we form these theological suppositions simply to argue with one another as opposed to living a robust Christian life. And I think that's I think that's where it becomes so maddening for me. Because I was, you know, my inculcation into these things 
as a young person was not so that my theological school can argue with your theological school. It was, how do you go about living faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then I, I, I end up encountering a whole bunch of people who seem to be trained in Christianity just to argue about it. And I, it, it's so, I, I can't, I find it so unuseful. I don't engage in it. I don't like it. But um, what you see is, so if you take, for example, the examples that get used uh, by both Paul and James of Abraham, well, how is it that Paul can talk about Abraham as being justified by faith? And uh, James talked about Abraham being justified by his works because he acts on what God tells him to do. Um, well, for the scriptures, there is no conflict. For the early church, there is no conflict. Why? Well, as we're about to talk about, faith equals faithfulness. Um, and that's linguistically true. In Greek, for instance, pistevo, the verb pistevo is transitive. And it means to have faith in. Like there, it takes it takes an object. You're having faith in. It's not a an ethereal, intellectual thinking of. It's an active, hey, we have this relationship and we are faithful to it. And I know you'll be faithful to it. And you asked me to be faithful to it, which sounds a lot like what God says to people all throughout both Old and New Testaments. I will be your God and you will be my people if you keep my covenants. Or Christ says, uh, those uh, those who endure to the end will be saved. Those who, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who hears my words and does not keep my commandment is condemned by my words. Like he says, he says, I do not judge the one who hears my words and keeps my commandments. He is already condemned by the word that I have spoken. That's John's gospel. So there's a very much an if that goes with, if you will keep my commandments. And that's throughout both old and new. Um, So that's that. I think we need to start seeing faith in that active way of if like faithfulness I think before we move on, I mean, I, I entirely agree with you that, that the word faith, the way that we should understand it as Christians and especially Orthodox Christians, that faith implies uh, hopefulness. It implies faithfulness on our behalf. It implies um, obedience. You know, I mean, it, it implies some action on our behalf, a willful action of, of turning the self over to God. But I think there's some questions begged that we should address before we move on to talk about that. That in a world that would say that my actions don't really line up with my faith necessarily, what does that say about who I think God is? Are we merely, as Americans, relativists and deists who who serve a detached God who isn't really intimately and actively working in the world on my behalf that 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 I can have all of these certain notions about how how I can moralistically serve him and do the right things as far as I'm concerned and he's going to be good with that as long as I'm better than my neighbor you know there there's a lot of questions that we need to ask about how we understand ourselves in relation to God and who we understand him to be and what his requirements of us are in this Christian relationship. So like the, I, I just thinking about it, the, the off quote passage from Galatians where it says you are saved by, by grace through faith 
you know, well, how about we are saved by grace through faithfulness, right? How else would you participate in that grace but by faithfulness? Less, not by works, right? Not by just being initiated, not by just the formality, but by the faithfulness through the grace of God, but less anyone should boast. So he's the one doing it. I mean, like it actually, the scriptures read better this way. Um, I think, uh, I think to your question, uh, I'm sorry, I got lost in my thoughts. Could you repeat it? Which part? <laughs> uh, just, just the beginning, just enough to get my mind back on the track. Sorry, man. So the question was, is instead of, before we move on to, to under, the, the, the understanding of faith and faithfulness as obedience and, and hopefulness and all these other things, so, some, some of the things that you said begged the question to me, how do we understand God? Is, is, oh, right. is the God of Christianity a deistic God? Like the forefathers of this country, right? So you you're back on track. I can hear in your voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I did have a thought about that. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. So anyway, uh, so in any case, right? Like, so it, it we need to understand when we say that we're the image and likeness of God. That's an active thing. We're the imagers of God. So who are we imaging? Um, if you're imaging, it's not yourself like there is an element of of imaging god that is always outside of you that pulls you into more than you would be on your own or less than you would be on your own and that's that's really the crux of the spiritual life like through sin we kind of become imagers of the demons through the covenant with yahweh we become imagers of the most high god which is what we're created to be um, which is kind of why, like, when we speak of someone who's really fallen into this, uh, who, who's really fallen into some really base behaviors, like, we kind of speak of them as behaving like and like an animal. Like, we describe them like a beast, you know? We're like, oh, my God, you know, you're, you're such a pig. What a dog, you know? Like, well, okay. Uh, so who is God? I mean, for us, like, we, as Orthodox Christians, we would say that God is not only personal, but he's hyper-personal. And he's hyper-personal in such a way that he wants us also as persons to image him. And so our own individuality, our own personal particularity somehow images him in unique ways. Um, now, the, you see that reflected out perfectly in the Apocalypse of John, the last book of the scriptures, where it says that in the kingdom, each individual is given a white stone with a secret name on it, on it known only to God and that person. So here's, here's where, so it's like, okay, they've all got the same God, but there's some particular imaging there and they've all got the same token, right? They're all wearing the same white stone. Um, and, and there's no mention of like a white stone being worn by either Christians or, or ancient Israelites. So that's a, that's a new, that's a kingdom to come thing. But the name there, the particular imaging there is very unique and it's known only to the God in each person. And if you really want to get granular with that, um, when you're looking at uh, Dionysius the Areopagite and uh, the ancient theologians that talk about angels, they speak of the angels not only as being categorically separate species, but as each angelic bower being a separate species unto itself. Like even not every cherub is identical to every other cherub. Not every seraph is identical to every other seraph. There is as if that in particular imager and particularity within the unseen noetic world has that individual particularity that makes Michael not Gabriel, for instance. 
And in the kingdom, that's the way that is. Like, hey, yeah, you're, you're all under Yahweh. You've got this particular white stone and, and this name that, that's between the two of you. It's not divorced from the covenant as a whole, but your individual particularity in imaging him is not wiped out. So it's not just that God is some general amorphous thing. He's certainly not a distant clockmaker, but he's also not my inclinations. The other extreme that people go to is God is so identical to themselves that whatever I really want and whatever I feel really strongly about, that's what God must be okay with. No, sorry, also not true. Uh, continually throughout scriptures, God asks us to get over ourselves, like which is really what most of sin boils down to, like most of repentance boils down to. It's like, hey, I know that your inclinations go this way. It's really not good for you in the long run, trust me. And let's uh, move you on from that to better things. So uh, who is God? Um, God is the hyper-personal ground of all being that seeks to pull us into a unique imaging with him by becoming a unique person, Jesus Christ, at a given image. I'm sorry, at a given point in history, the Logos becomes flesh for all of eternity, past, present, and future. Something that I see in, in our country, and you know, and I and I see it starting to happen, it's already been happening in Europe, but that that Americans that I know are particularly moralistic and relativistic when it comes to faith. I, I believe in, in Buddy Christ, like that episode we did. Uh, we believe in Buddy Christ with his, with his, uh, you know, with his sandals on and the long hair and just kind of soft and gentle and kind of malleable to my own will. And I just need to please him moralistically in a relative way. You know, as long as I'm not, I'm not a murderer and as long as I'm not as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer was and I don't have people stored in my refrigerator for further use, I'm good. Jesus is going to be okay with that because Jesus is nice and he wants me to be nice and you want me to be nice. And as long as we're just kind of nice in a communal way, that alleviates me from having to do the hard work of being faithful to a God I don't know, nor do I really care to know, because that's going to require something of me. It's going to require me to be uncomfortable, and that might suck. So instead of being in a really uncomfortable place, like, um, you know, I mean, like even in the Old, Old Testament, uh, the, the word hope literally means to be taught, T-A-U, in a state of painful expectation, in other words. That's what faithfulness implies, both the Old Testament and the New. Abraham goes up the mountain with his only son to do what? In theory, sacrifice him. There's a, there's a painfulness, there's an expectation, there's a tautness, a tension built into the idea of faith and faithfulness. I don't want that. I like being comfortable. I like you thinking that I'm a good guy and that we have a nice relationship. I like that moral moral standing. I like having a deistic God who's kind of the distant clockmaker that is going to be okay with that and this nice buddy Jesus that we have over here or Buddha or whoever it is that I think I faithfully worship because I'm a good guy. Yeah, I think that I, I think that the big problem 
I think that the big problem with all that is the big problem is in the words itself, because to say that, like, I'm a good guy, I'm a good person is so if so, you, you, you've got to have a standard for that. Now, if you're if your standard is the culture Truth is relative. Well, truth is relative. Ah, but it, no, but that doesn't Uh, uh, mean there won't be a standard. So there's always going to be a standard. Now, if the standard is. But then it's my standard, right? Well, (laughs) if the standard is the ever changing culture that you're in and what I'm comfortable with and what the culture I am comfortable with, then, then guess what? Then you can be, you can be a good person and do some really awful things. Um, So, you know, like that's, that's the issue. So like, for example, in ancient Greece, uh, pederasty, the misuse of uh, children by adults was an institution. In fact, if you were apprenticed, it was kind of part of the apprenticeship to learn a trade. That was an institution, a social institution that was given a thumbs up by the society at that time. Uh, and guess what? Any of those people could have said, I'm a good person. I'm not doing anything against the social mores of the day. We look at that and say that's absolutely abhorrent and evil and awful and terrible because it is. So guess what? Culture is not a good measure. Or uh, when you're looking at, uh, if you're looking at um, any, if you're looking at ancient Rome, ancient Rome, in ancient Rome, um, your standing as a human being, as a person, was only relative to class. So if I am the master of the house and you are one of the servants of the house, you are but, as far as I'm concerned, property. Um, I can kill you, beat you, have my way with you physically, and I, am, uh, and I have committed no moral wrong under the mores of ancient Rome. According to the ethics of ancient Rome, I've only done that which is in my right to do. And I can go and say, I'm a good person. I I mean, so looking at the culture of the day, looking at the culture of the day and looking at the impulses of the day and what seems good to me, uh, you can, is uh, is a terrible way to ascertain. In fact, it's no way to ascertain what it means to be good. Uh, and, And that's why, interestingly enough, we, we, we always get this nudging from the most high God that, hey, that's not the way to do things. Because even in that culture of ancient Greece, philosophers begin asking, what does good mean objectively? What is the good? And there's always a sense that the good and um, what society says is the good aren't going to be the same thing. So you get like even so we love Socrates, but let's remember that. He was executed for heresy by ancient Greeks. By the way, that wasn't Christians. That was pagans executing someone for not believing what they believe. Um, I'm, you know, so what do you do, right? So, so you're always going to be obedient to something. It's never really relativistic. You're going, if you're obedient to the mob, to the culture mob around you, then you're going to contortion yourself to that. But you're obedient to something besides yourself. If you are in a covenant with the Most High God, then you know that the standard for the standard for what is good and what is not good is God Himself, is the incarnate God Jesus Christ. Well, okay, so what does the Scripture say? What is what does God say? What does the covenant say is good and not good? 
no matter how you feel about it and no matter how the culture around you feels about it. Uh, but make no mistake, you're, if, you, if you make yourself morally uh, relativized to the culture, you will shift your, your whims and opinions um, you know, on a dime. You'll do it because your objective standard says to. So like, again, going back to the ancient world, ancient Rome, you could, you know, exposing your infant, you decide that you don't want your infant, you can leave them out and expose them to the elements till they die. Or uh, in some areas in the ancient world, like that was the father's prerogative. The infant was presented and left outside till he decided to bring it inside. And... If he didn't, you couldn't go out there and rescue it. You just had to listen to it cry to death, literally. I mean, the following, making the culture the benchmark for what is good is a really, is a, is a surefire way to end up at some really bad places. Um, the most, but you'll have a standard outside of yourself, regardless. You will be obedient to someone else, either the mob or the most high God, but you'll be obedient to something. You'll be yeah. faithful to something. And as Christians, I think that faithfulness builds integrity, right? Because we as human beings are disintegrated. We're, we're, we're all over the place. But you see a person of integrity who has a, a mooring, whether it be to the social construct or whatever, it, there, there, there's some sort of, ingathering of the self towards that thing and we as christians the ingathering of the self the rebuilding of the self has to be found in jesus christ uh, through 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 faithfulness and and as we've said before like even in our intro in the midst of the struggles and suffering of life that's what it's going to bring and i think that's one of the things that makes a person like me most uncomfortable because i want to be comfortable well, here's the thing, though. Like you say that you you want to be comfortable. I I think if we're being if we're being rigorously honest, um, I don't think people really do. They want to be uninconvenienced. I don't know that they really want to be comfortable because here's the thing, like depending on what you're faithful to, you're never really going to be comfortable. Like if you're if you're faithful to the culture and to the whims of the day. You're not really going to be comfortable because you have to shift when it says shift. You just won't have the mob telling you wrong. You'll have the applause of an echo chamber, but you're 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 you don't get to be comfortable, like because now you've got to kind of be on the alert for oh when's our where's our next turn? And nowadays, I mean, I, like people who people who make themselves really beholden to being in, in the in the uh, you know to being faithful. To the obedient weak, um, to the obedient woke stream of uh, of our culture, like I don't know how they keep up with it. Honestly, I really don't. I, I like it, you know, like 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 every you know every everything is you know everything is an outrage. Everything is racist. Everything like how do you keep up with it? You know, in order to virtue signal enough so that you're woke enough to be good. I mean, it's, it's God awful. Like there's no way you can be comfortable and do that. I, I mean, really, the only thing you can do is try to make people less comfortable than you, which is what people do. Cause like, so I don't, I don't think that, I, I don't think that there is a keeping up with it. I think there's a, uh, I don't want to be inconvenienced. 
Now that, that's another thing. But I, I, I mean, you're going to be uncomfortable. Either you're uncomfortable by being beholden to the mob. You're uncomfortable by being beholden to the demons because uh, living, you know, living a life that is dominated by the passions and sins leaves you uncomfortable. It leaves you restless, irritable, and discontent and angry and um, as imaging something that's less than human. Living a life that is obedient to the Most High God is uncomfortable uh, because you've got to you've got to struggle against you know the flesh, the devil, and and, and sin. And it's like okay, but I, I just don't see a comfortable path. Like and and even the people who say they're quote unquote comfortable, they're not comfortable. Their health is poor. Their mental state is poor. They're in a constant state of outrage. I don't really know. I, I don't know anyone living a, a life of any reflection that's comfortable. <laughs> fair enough so we have we have two two one of two directions to go and you you choose from here um either either the roots of the old testament words for faith uh the 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 verbal root aleph mim nin which is the like where we get our word amin or the one that that you and prep really uh liked uh the 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 I don't know. I can't even remember how to pronounce that word. I, my Hebrew is so rusty. Or I, I think that would be a good place to start. I'm not giving you a choice. You, no. you liked the second one because it, it, it was where we find our security. Well, right? and, and I was quoting the Septuagint, the Greek, but I was going to say, por que no los dos, right? Like, why not both of them? So, uh, right. <laughs> Yeah, the, the pe, pepito, right? Was the right, pepito, was, which is Greek. The yeah, Greek it's not word. Hebrew. Yeah, that was from the Septuagint. But that's the word often tra- that is translating that, but uh, the uh, Hebrew uh, verbal root. Well, yeah, and we got there by talking. You mentioned the 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 Hebrew word for belief. So why don't you why don't you tell a little bit, bit people what what you found out about the Hebrew word for faith. So there, there are three basic verbal roots in Hebrew that are translated as faith. The, the, the most important and primary is the one that we get our word for amin from, because it's covenantal. It's, it has everything to do with the relationship with God as God, as he has revealed himself to us, right? It, it requires me to, whether in cursing or blessing, affirm that which God has set forth. Like we see in Abraham, or when we say, for you are our God and we know no other, right? This is is an extensive and intensive sort of saying, I believe. Like when we say amen to that in a liturgical context, you are saying that I, in all that I am, my inner being and, and now also in my external conduct, that I am going to live in such a way that will exemplify that you are my God and there is no other. And that that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, I believe with all that I am, right? So this is that verbal group. And then you have the secondary verbal group, which means to, to base your security in something. And that can rest outside of that relationship with, with the Holy Trinity. That can be... I can find security in myself. I can find security in 
in my in my group in my in my friends in my job in in whatever in other false gods you know it, it doesn't it, it's it's not necessarily found in that personal deep relationship with with the one true god and then the other verbal root is to to find shelter uh, or refuge in uh, someone or something uh, to to admit that you need protection or or the help of another yeah and that's where, so with that one, so there's that in, the fact that it takes an object, that in, is what makes it also kind of transitive. So it's, again, even with the Hebrew, it's not a, it's not just sort of this vague, amorphous thinking about, thinking happy, the right. What I don't like is I don't like the, the language of faith is thinking the right, happy thoughts about God. Like, that's not it. Thinking the right, happy thoughts isn't going to get you anywhere. And just thinking the thoughts isn't going to get you anywhere. Um, but, you know, the, the Hebrew word there, upmenu, it, is, it, it has, like, you're, you're believing in something. It's, not, it's more than just so be. It's like, I, I believe, have faith in what was interesting, and which makes it transitive. And it's the same three-letter root as Arabic has, you know, the alif nun. And so it's so, it, 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 the reason why these languages lend themselves so readily to these covenantal uh to these covenantal relationships with god is it says okay well if i'm having faith in you if i'm being faithful to you if i'm having faith in you then i must be faithful to you therefore what's our relationship and that's i mean and and you see you see that just kind of flowing really naturally the the none of the patriarchs in the old testament none of the you know nor the apostles would have ever conceived of saying oh I'm faithful to Yahweh. I'm faithful to the gospel, but I don't need to do anything about it. I'm just, you know, I, I that that yeah, that sounds true. I'm going to go about my day. I'm sorry, no, like you don't see that at all. Like Abraham uproots, he, Abraham moves out of his father's house and go, becomes a wandering Aramean. You know, Moses goes and withstands Pharaoh. Like they all, like it's like okay. You know, like they, there's no sense of just like, oh, okay, that's that's true. Now I'll just sit back and, you know, go on about my life the way I, the way that everyone around me says is okay. There, there's none of that. Um, so you mentioned in 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 prep, what is for us uh, Psalm one forty five or one forty six in the Western numbering, where it says, "Trust not in princes or the sons of men." So I looked that up and I looked that up in the Septuagint and. The Greek word used there for trust is not this word. Like it doesn't come from the verb pistevo, which is I believe, to believe, which is transitive, to have faith in. Um, or, you know, the noun is, of course, pisti, which is faith or belief in. Uh, and, and the word there isn't, it's, it's not related to that at all. The word in the Septuagint there is uh, pepitho, and which comes from verb pitho, which is like to be persuaded, to be seduced by, to be won over. And that's... I think that, that that when you're looking at that psalm, that so paints a much better mental image of what's happening there, because he's saying, "Hey, be not persuaded by, be not won over by princes or the sons of men." I mean, if I say trust not in princes or sons of men, I mean, it's it, it's so vague. It's like, okay, I, I don't trust the guy in government my, hundreds of miles away, whatever. Uh, no, it's like, no, no, no. When you're looking at the, the aid, the assistance, the support, the approval of, um, of who? Well, don't be persuaded by, don't be won over by, 
the whether it's the size of the multitude, whether it's the mob, whether it's the social pressure, whether it's the glamour and glitz and glory, or whether it's you know whatever the feature is, don't be persuaded by that. Don't be seduced by the mere appearance of these worldly powers. Well, again, persuaded there, like oh, if we're looking, going oh, and and I've seen people do. People are I, we're all persuaded differently. Like I know people who are very much kind of keeping up with the Joneses and uh, kind of the flash and glitz um, like does persuade them. I'm, I'm not wired that way, but I'm wired for my own, uh, you know, my own shortcomings and foibles. But like, don't, don't be persuaded that your security lies there. You know, at, well, that's, that's that, 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 that goes along with the rest of the Psalm really well and the rest of scripture really well. But if you're only looking at the English where it says, trust not, put faith not in, well, eh, it doesn't, it doesn't carry the same weight. So I think there's that element, once again, of being not persuaded by the externals. But how can you know the difference? Well, but through a life of faithfulness to the covenant with the Most High, like you will image what you're faithful to. If you are faithful to your impulses and the culture around you, you'll image that in all of its ugliness in all of its animalisticness, in all the, the instability of that. And you'll be persuaded by the things that correspond with it. If you are faithful to the covenant with the Most High, you'll be persuaded by that because that corresponds with what you're imaging. But like ha- when, when both sides say, hey, I'm a good person, when both sides say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a good person within my, my sphere, well, how can you tell the difference? What is really good? Well, you tell the difference through faithfulness. Like, okay, you, you know what faithful, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, if you've tasted, if you've been faithful, if you know what that looks like, then you can tell the difference. You know the genuine article, so you can spot the counter. And like we mentioned before with Elijah and Gehazi, there, there's that, that a similar set of images of... of of one being persuaded by what he saw and the other one knowing, knowing through his faithfulness to God as his prophet, what the, what was really set before them to see and do where, where Gehazi saw a problem. Elijah saw the hand of God. Yeah. But, and, and, and I think there, I think there's an added element here too. So this is where, remember, God, in, in addition to being hyper-personal, is so hyper-personal that he's, he is, despite the fact of being one God, he's also communal, like he's not isolated. He is one eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's also a community of love. That unity and diversity, St. Porfirio says, is the eternal church, uh, that we are imperfectly mirroring, imperfectly imaging here. So what, um, like look at Elijah and Gehazi, like it takes place even within community. So Gehazi's discernment of what's happening around takes place through the words of the prophet. But then there's every implication that that Gehazi is faithful to that, right? Like he doesn't, it's not that he, he's a step down. He's faithfully reported what is in his, in his, his scope to be aware of. It gets corrected by the prophet and in that community says, okay, well, I'm trusting. Why, why? Well, I'm faithful to the covenant with the most high. You're the most highest man. I didn't know what you knew. And now that I'm in the loop, let's drive forward. 
um, there's still that faithfulness is pulling both of them out of themselves. Elijah is pulled out of himself because he has to be faithful to the divine counsel that he's able to perceive. Gehazi is being pulled out of himself because he's having to be faithful to the messenger of God, Elijah, and what he's revealing. They're, they're both being faithful to something beyond themselves. They're both imaging something beyond themselves. Um, and again, that can also work in the negative. But either way, they're both doing that. Yeah, they are both doing it, but it just it's interesting to see that that outside of the context of community that we have and outside of the context of revelation which God has given us through his prophets and ultimately in Christ, that what we're confronted with in day-to-day life, if it if we don't actively participate, I mean, life is constantly in flux, in other words. It's constantly changing. Like you've heard me say a million times, life is dynamic. If we aren't living in the reality of that, that we can see see something, be persuaded by its reality or our perception of its reality, and then act correctly or incorrectly, depending on how we, in that moment, square ourselves in faithfulness to the revelation of the prophets and ultimately Jesus Christ. And then, and then once we've squared it, if we're able to square it, what do you do? Do you act obediently or not to what God has asked you to do? Yeah. And, and that's, and that's really, you know, that's really where the rubber meets the road. It's like, okay, you know, what, what's interesting and uh, what's interesting is like the, what we, what we refer to as what we refer to kind of as this big question of faith, you know, I, I, I really, I, I, I dislike so much how it gets phrased, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? What, you know, how much do I need to do? How much is enough? And this, that, that, like the, the, it's, it's also misguided. I, I dislike it so much, but it, it's all of that is not the gospel. That is the response to being presented with the gospel. What's interesting is Christ says, well, be faithful, honestly. You know, right? Like, sell all that you have. Follow me. You know, keep my commandments. Um, you know, love, love, love your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. It's all faithfulness. Shema Israel. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So you know, it, it, it's all faithfulness. And I, but I mean, but then you look at that, and you're you're looking at Christ saying, well. You can't be faithful and not have your actions match up. So like Christ looks and says, well, hey, you know, I, you, the law does indeed say do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you are looking with lust, you're already an adulterer. Why? We're already down that road. You're already not being faithful. I mean, that's I mean, it, that, that, those where his standards are. And if we were to look at it and say, well, none of us really meet the standard. Well, you'd be honest. And that, and and then you would have the reality of repentance before you, where you've got to look and say, okay, well, if we're all not meeting the standard and we're all not quite there, then what is uh, then where does faithfulness to the Most High lie? Well, it lies in repentance. That's the thing. So you can either not, you can either not fail to meet the standard, which no one does, or 
you can repent. And if we're repentant, if we're, if we're genuinely trying to get our life back on the path of life and generally trying to be faithful to the, 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 the grace of God, well, then I really can't be harsh and unforgiving to you because I'm in just as much need uh, of that, uh, of that tender mercy as you are. And that's, that's so much, such a much better place to be. Like I, I, you know, I think if, like, if you start to look at that, then you could say, okay, um, yeah, it, like if we we're living that way, then we really couldn't, we really couldn't be uh, cruel and unloving and unmerciful. Like you'd really have to, uh, you'd really have to be uh, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your neighbors yourself. There'd be no other way to do it. So I, I think that's, again, I think if we see it all as faithfulness, we get a lot closer. And we just do. I, I, no, not just get closer. That's the only way to get there. I'll take it that far. Yeah, faithfulness and confidence in, I think, would be a nice way to, to look at it. So uh, going back to something that, that we said toward the beginning, is that we, we cannot forget that the writers of the New Testament were in, in a missionary mode and, and that we today are also missionaries. So, so faith and faithfulness has a twofold nature and implication. First, that there are people faithful to the gospel to, to give the kerygma or the teachings of the apostles about Jesus Christ to a new generation, right? So we're, we're faithful to the kerygma and the teachings thereof, which is, as we stated earlier, the incarnation, the life and miracles of Jesus, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension and his coming again, right? And also Pentecost. I mean, the, these are the, 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 big, the big ones, but we, we, are, we are faithfully teaching these truths to constantly to a new generation of people, hoping that they will noetically with the with with their minds and souls assent to the truth or the validity validity of the teachings of the kerygma. And I think most of us stop there. Quite unfortunately. It's like, yes, I've placed my faith in Jesus and voila, I am now saved for all eternity. You know, you, you get this sort of uh, dialogue and you get this sort of idea out of some uh, American and Western churches after the Reformation. This idea of, of as long as I believe in my heart that Jesus is risen, I am good to go. But that com is completely divorced from the reality that the church has given to us that we are to be constantly daring to be in to live within the the tension of life and to to be how how do you say it um i i'm struggling to find the words that that we that, that we have to be constantly reevaluating or self self correcting in, in our relationship to god that that it's moment by moment minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, month and week after week, self-relating to Christ, that, that faithfulness 
literally requires that I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. That there is no other way. That that actually is faithfulness. That there's a paradox involved. That when I offer my will to him, to love him faithfully with every moment of my life, with every beat of my heart, with every breath that I take, that when I'm that when I will to do that, that my will is taken, and that I live apart from that, that becomes the actual work set before me to do. And that through me, then he does all these beautiful works that he created for us to do from the foundation of the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, and we've got to look at that and say, you know, truthfully, like there's no other way, there, it, there is no other way for us to actually do the, the work of the gospel, the, the work of taking the victory of Christ, Christ over death and sin out into the world, if we're also not faithful to it. And I think, I think part of the, I think part of the uh, overreaction against, the overreaction of our culture against uh, anything claiming to be Christian or whatever has a lot to do with sort of this long period where uh, we've just allowed things to be very much formal, like just the formality of, oh, I said I believe, I said I did this, oh, you know, I make a, a, a formal external, like this is where I go on Sundays, but then it doesn't, we're not faithful to it the rest of the time. And that's, you know, and, and we're, we're faithful to the external, but then we're not faithful to the uh, the heart of the matter, you know. So, like, we're, we're, we're faithful to going through the motions on Sundays and feast days, but the life of repentance where we're getting our impulses and our souls and our, our, our passions and all that stuff squared away and where we're uh, amending our character defects doesn't happen. Well, you know, then, then kind of everyone says, well, you're not, it does then they look at it and say, well, you're liars, you know, or you're, you're hypocrites or whatever. And, you know, there's a, there's an element to truth, right? If we're not being faithful to the covenant before us. And again, if we're being, if, if our, if our fidelity to the covenant is through repentance, then that has to come with a lot of humility to say, yeah, I am, uh, imperfection is built into the process here. And, It'll be built into it for you, but that's okay because it's not the end. It's not the last word. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's I think that's where a lot of it comes in. I think that's where um, we bump into some serious qualms and issues. But but then, like I ask myself, like when when I'm called to be faithful and do do what Jesus told us to do. Like a great example of this is he says. Be ye not anxious. Don't worry at all about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough cares of its own. And then I go, and I mean, we, we've said this before. There's, there's a certain amount of wisdom in preparing and planning. I mean, that is part of being wise. But I, I think, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I think that Jesus is pointing us in a in a very amazing direction and pointing us to the direction that abide in me the idea of abide in me 
And what does it mean to abide in Christ? That if I am in him, if I'm abiding in him, if if I'm being patient and I'm being humble and I'm repenting and I'm living that moment by moment relationship where, where I actually love him and I actually love his commandments and I love his resurrection and I love his cross and I'm looking to him for my sustenance, I am in that very moment living in the kingdom. And that if I take my eyes off him as my prize, I fall into that, I fall into trusting in myself, being persuaded that I can take care of it. I I find security in myself and in my anxieties and in my fears. And in so doing, I'm really turning my back on the kingdom and being unfaithful, opistos, without faith. That's a dangerous place to live, my friends, and and Father Michael and Father Joseph, that that this is a constant repentant, obedient, confidence in God, and a constant self-reassessment and re-referencing myself to him. You see it in David, and you don't see it in Saul. You see it throughout the Bible, how to do that, or examples of people doing that, and they're all listed in the epistle to the Hebrews. Yeah, and so it's, so, so I think to, I think to really sum it up, I think to really sum it up, what we're getting at, uh, I think to sum it up, what we're getting at and and what we need to get at is that this hyper-personal God does not want, uh, does not suddenly become impersonal when he deals with us in his covenant. Like it's, it's, it's so nice. I think, I think it's, it's very nice to say that you know, God is our father and we are his sons and he calls us to a relationship. And people get really on board with that kind of language until the relationship starts demanding of them things. But when you've got a hyper-personal God and he's calling you into a, a relationship and, and you are a person and your personhood is not going to be uh, destroyed, you know, or undone by entering into relationship with him, but rather even into the kingdom, there's going to be this new name that only you and him know. And in other words, you're going to be imaging him in some hyper-personal way yourself. And we don't even know what that means or what it looks like. We just know that John puts that cryptic thing into his apocalypse about the age to come. And we have no idea what the implications of that are, none. And it's not worth speculating on. But what it what we can know about it is that this very hyper-personal God doesn't suddenly get impersonal about the stuff he's asking of you. So if we want him to be our father, and we want to be his sons, and we are endeavoring to, in repentance, be faithful to him, we can't suddenly start divorcing that out and say, well, you know, this, uh, you know, my finances are none of your business. My personal life is none of your business. Or here are the formalities I'm willing to give you, Yahweh. I'm willing to give you an hour of my time on Sunday, 30 seconds, uh, twice a week for prayer. Like those are the formalities I'm willing to give you. And then we're looking for you to be the buddy version of the most high and just thumbs up. Be like, that's enough. Well, sorry. No, like, I mean, maybe if it's the best we have to give, perhaps, you know, there's the widow with her two coins. She throws them in. But that was all she had. She didn't like give. She Christ is really clear. She gave all that she had. She gave the best she had. It wasn't 
it, it, it just, you know, it wasn't second rate. It was first rate from where she stood. The Most High is still asking for first rate. And the place that he's trying to take us is first rate. But the road there is faithfulness. And that means that just the formality of saying, oh, I thought these nice thoughts about Jesus on one day at a prayer meeting, or, um, you know, I, I'm trying to just be sort of a, a, a kinder person. It doesn't get you there. It doesn't mean that you're living according to the covenant of the most high, because why? Because what is the actual non-negotiable standard of your life? What is the thing that you're imaging? Well, if it's not him, then it doesn't really matter if the externals look okay according to the culture of the day. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, I, I think that's, I think that's where people get tripped up and that's where people get tripped up because if you want to see where people's faithfulness is really to say no to them, honestly, like say no to them. Like, uh, you know, like I, 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 it's again, you know, like I, I, I knew of, uh, I, I knew of one young lady who was up in arms because, um, you know, the, the hierarch, you know, when, when marriage was redefined here in the country, the, the, the hierarch penned an epistle, it penned an encyclical stating that, Hey, the traditional definition, the Christian, not traditional, the Christian definition of marriage is a man and a woman joined at the church. And Josh just up in arms. So she didn't come to church. Well, okay. So what's she faithful to? Well, she's faithful to uh, what she she's faithful to uh, what she wants, what she thinks intimate life should look like and what her, the culture that she wants to be a part of says not to not to Christ. So we're willing to throw Christ out unless Christ tells me what I want to hear. Okay, well, that's what you're faithful to. You know, um, if you know, what are you what are you willing to walk away from Yahweh for? That's what you're faithful to. And, and you could, I mean, if you get really granular and break that down to any sin, like, okay, but what are you willing, what are you willing to walk away for? Like say, Hey, um, you know, I'm not coming here and you know, I, I, I don't like the way this is being done in church. So I'm not coming to liturgy anymore. Okay. Well, that's what you're faithful to that, that thing over there. That's your God. Because if you really believe that Yahweh was God, if you really believe that Jesus is in the Eucharist, you're not staying away for anything. You're not breaking communion with that for anything. So what are you really faithful to, man? Um, yeah, another that, way to ask that is, what are you afraid of losing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, so, so if you want to know, like, check out where the no is. Check out like, where, what, say no to someone and see them not show back up at church. Say, okay, well, that's that. That was your God. And unfortunately, as a as a, unfortunately here in America, we've we've accommodated to that so much that. People don't get it. We just accommodated all those no's. And the reality is when you get people who are willing to say no to God, um, you can do backflips and contortions and try to accommodate them all day long. They're still not interested. They still don't come. They they get the thing they they really cared about and showed up for, and then you don't see them again. And so we got to start saying no more. And then asking people to really be faithful. Um, you know. But being faithful is scary. I mean, in, in all honesty, it can be frightening. And it implies an awful lot of things that our culture has taught us not to want. I mean, when 
when Nathanael was faithful to the call of God to go to the king and call him out for his sin with Bathsheba and to tell him that 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 child that was conceived of that action and of that murder of Uriah, that that child was going to die. I mean, imagine how frightening that may have been to Nehemiah, the prophet. But he did it anyway. So sometimes our faithfulness to God implies that we bring curses, that we speak the truth. God forbid. God forbid we speak the truth. Our, our, Our society doesn't want to hear the truth, and we're afraid to tell the truth. Well, and and not speaking the truth is far more dangerous. Because, you know, like if you've you've ever been in a situation where you've had to lie for any long period of time, it feels like you are unraveling. You yourself are unraveling. To live in untruth is kind of to unravel yourself. And uh, there's nothing more awful and horrifying. It's God-awful. Uh, so I, I would say that not not telling the truth is not telling the truth is worse. Now, once we've told the truth, how we assess doing that—that's where it gets personal again. Because once we've told the truth about something difficult, then you have to decide what to do with it. Um, so, like, you could say. I'm an alcoholic. Um, okay. Well, if you say, okay, you've told the truth about that. And then what do you want to do about it? There are people who look at that and say, well, I'm just going to keep drinking. I have a physical propensity to it and I enjoy, and I enjoy it. I mean, the, the literature of AA, you know, at one point it, it makes it very clear. It's like, look, we, we drank because we enjoyed the effect it had, which is absolutely true. You enjoy it. I mean, it also makes you miserable and restless and irritable and discontent, but you know, like you, what you do with that. So, and you could say, well, you know, this will separate you. If you don't do something about it, if you don't endeavor to do something about it, then you've got problems. Well, you know, you don't get to say, well, I've got this problem. So, you know, God just wants me just the way I am. And he made me this way. So I'm just not going to do anything about him to keep drinking. No, you got to do something about it. You got at least try to do something about it. You got to at least endeavor and continuously endeavor to work the program and do something about it. Or you say, well, you know, I've got these, you know, I'm prone to, to anger or prone to theft. I'm a kleptomaniac. God has a whole commandment that says don't steal, but I'm I'm a kleptomaniac by nature. Well, you've still got it. Well, that's that struggle. That's where your salvation lies. You don't get to just say, well, my inclinations run this way. I guess I'm going to steal, um, you know. And you run through every last sin that way. It's like, yeah, you've got to do something about it or at least be endeavoring to do something about it. Um, and, and that's that's the thing is, you know, faithfulness is faithfulness scary. I don't know, maybe, um, you know, but once you've told the uncomfortable truth of, OK, I have this I have this side of me that is inclined to not run according to the covenant with the most high for whatever reason why doesn't really matter um for whatever reason i've got this side of me that's inclined to run not according to the covenant with the most high well what do you do about it that's the real question you know i and and so it's like 
just just telling the truth about it doesn't get you anywhere. Like you got to start there. Lying about it gets you further into the hole. Just telling the truth is at least a start, but it doesn't get you anywhere. What gets you somewhere is, is responding to it. Saying, okay, I'm gen- I, I'm a klepto I'm a kleptomaniac. Okay, um, you know. Uh, I've got a, whatever it is, you know, I got, I've got an addiction or I've got an overactive libido or whatever it is. Say, okay, well, all right, that may be true. And and if that's true, if those things are true, what do you do according to, what do you do in accordance with the standard of what is objectively good, God himself? Now, how you manage that, that is where faithfulness lies. And if you just say, well, I, you know, hey, these are my impulses. I'm going to go down those roads. That's what you're being faithful to. And um, if you look at people, it's funny. We have no shortage of examples of, of high-profile individuals who are very faithful to their impulses. And none of them lead anywhere good. Like you don't see that and go, that's someone to exemplify. You don't see that and go, that person is being Christ-like. If they're angry, they're screaming at everybody. If they if they have an itch to scratch physically, they're going and scratching it. We don't applaud that and go, hey, man, that's a great life to live. They become riddled with disease and broken relationships and they're miserable human beings. And they're definitely restless, irritable and discontent because the more you indulge the passions, the more insatiable they become, which is what every addict learns. Like you can't really ever get enough to drink. Not really. And it becomes insatiable. So the reality is, um, as much as faithfulness to the most high sounds like it's caging you in, it's actually the only path to serenity. It's actually the only path to any sort of satisfaction. Um, When you're in a place where you've got these insatiable desires, what you notice is the rest of life stops being enjoyable the thing that you're running to to satisfy you is not enjoyable anymore. And the rest of life is miserable because you're just chasing the dragon. Um, and actually being faithful to the covenant of the most high. It's like, Oh wow. In, you know, in serenity, in sobriety, in living a repentant life. Oh wow. The rest of life suddenly is enjoyable again. So it's a, it's a, amazing, but yeah, you'll be faithful to something. You're going to have a master. You know, don't let anyone else tell you different. You will. Um, but yeah, but lies are worse, but you know, lies are worse. However, just simply being honest doesn't tell you what to do with it. Um, but it's, it's at least a place to start. Obedience goes hand in hand with faithfulness, right? Oh yeah. So, I mean, think about your marriage. If you're faithful to your wife, you do what she says. (laughs) Because if you're not, if you don't, you're going to be absolutely miserable. I'm teasing, but well, to a degree, but to a, but to it's a degree, an offering right? of my own self will, right? I, I, I remove my self will and and give it over to my wife, right? In subjugation to her, and she, it, it's it's a good example. It's a it good really example. Is. No, it really is. We have is. to subsig. We have to subjugate our own self will to Christ, to find our happiness and our hope. And that is, and when you give up your self-will and your own desires and your own wants, your own anxieties, your own fears, your own baggage, that is that life of painful expectancy in the Lord to act and do what is right by you. 
And that's the only yeah. place you're ever going to find joy. Really, my friends, Father Joseph, I'm speaking to myself more than anybody. Yeah, well, the, you know, part of, so what's really interesting, I think I, I feel like I, I'm about to say something that I feel like I've mentioned a lot lately to a lot of different people at a lot of different moments. So if I've repeated it on this podcast too much, uh, forgive me, I just don't remember if I have. But that is what's interesting is like, if you're talking to people in recovery, a lot of guys with serious recovery will tell you that if you are not, uh, if you're not helping others, if you're not doing service work, you're not working a program. Like you might be staying dry, right? You might be physically sober, but you're not doing recovery. You're not doing sobriety. Why? Because you're not getting beyond yourself. So, you know, you, you can say that, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Well, what does Matthew's gospel say Christians are there to do? It's, 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 the, it's the gospel message of baptisms. Go there, go there for and uh, go there for and make disciples of all nations. Well, if you're not disciple making, if you're not disciple making, then you're not being a Christian. And I mean, that starts with disciples in your own home. And guess what? Like to then again, to go back to uh, the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says we can't, you can't, you certainly can't give away what you haven't got. So if you, I mean, if you, if you have not become a disciple yourself, if you are not taking ownership and onus that, hey, this is the number one priority in my life. Of course, you can't create disciples. You haven't become a disciple yourself. And to respond to the gospel for discipleship is a response to the gospel. So first, you have to respond to that with discipleship yourself. And too many of our people haven't done that. People haven't really done that. Well, you can't live out discipleship without being faithful. You can't say, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not be faithful to him. I mean, I had someone try to tell me one time that, you know, where Christ says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said, oh, that's completely, you, you don't have to keep any of Christ's commandments in order to be a Christian. I've absolutely told me that. And I'm just like, he says, if you love me, he's like, oh, no, no. But that's just, he's what? like, oh, that's just if you love me. Not if you're, not if you're one of the saved followers. I'm like, how does that even track? So I don't love, so because I'm following you, I don't love you? Or, or you can, to. or you can, or I can follow you without loving you and therefore keeping your command. It was just, it's this, it's, it, it is what happens when we formulate our theology just to argue with people as opposed to, to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian theology, early Christian theology, as well as a, a second temple, temple Hebrew theology, all of it was based around how do I live in fidelity to this God who has revealed himself? That was the point. How do I live in faithfulness to this God who has revealed himself to me? And that hasn't that, changed. It Not hasn't. one iota. Ah, but there is an abundance of Christian quote-unquote theology out there now that has been formulated to how do I respond to this group? How do I argue with that group? How do I undermine and contradict that thing that's being taught over there? It, and, and none of that is properly Christian, and none of that is faithful to Jesus Christ. And you can come up with these argumentations that are that, that they're, they're maddening. And, and it's not that you can't proof verse them. You can proof verse anything. The devil can proof verse, but none of it gets you any closer to being faithful to Jesus Christ. And I, I've got no time for that. It's like, look, if you're going to make a theological, theological argument, you're going to put things together— 
it needs to be faithful to Jesus Christ. That's what it's there to do. That is what theology is there to serve. It is not there. Theology is not there to dialogue with the culture. It is not there to seek your own answer. It is not there to dialogue with your psychology. It is not there to philosophize about the nature of the universe. Now, it may do all of those things, but what it is there to do, first and foremost, is to be faithful to the Most High God who has made us in His image and likeness and has revealed Himself to us. In the process of doing that one thing needful, being faithful to the Most High God, yes, you will end up dialoguing with the culture and with your own uh, psychology and figuring your needs out, you know, because you've got to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, says the scriptures. And uh, you will have to philosophize about the nature of existence. But none of those things are the point. The point is fidelity to the Most High. And, and, and we've lost sight of that. But that's what faith means, is that fidelity, faith is fidelity, fidelity to the Most High, either through flawless service, which no one gets, or through repentance. Which is the uh, which is the much more reliable path, and it demands humility. To, to add to what you're saying, I, I think what many of us want is a, a one size fits all sort of discipleship making tool. I think we we forget, like we said earlier, that that we're that we are unique imagers. Of the divine, and that when we faithfully follow the faithful one, that that's going to look different for you than it does me. Though we're still saving, hopefully serving the same God faithfully because he's first faithful to us, that how that's going to look is different. And I pointed that out yesterday in the gospel reading. You know, Jesus sent his, he sent Paul to Greece and to Italy to preach the gospel and to die for the gospel. He sent, he sent the demoniac back to his village to tell about all the great things that Jesus did. St. Fotini went back to her village and spoke about what Jesus had revealed to her. So, and then how, it's like if you were to look at my life, I look at making disciples in my own home. Well, my children look at their father and their mother and say, you guys picked up and left Wisconsin. You went to Massachusetts. You went to New York. And now you're in Wyoming doing what you think God has asked you to do? Are they going to look at that and say, yes, my dad is a faithful man? Or are they going to look at that and be like, that was, that's kind of stupid, right? But that overlooks the unique imaging that God has for each of us to do his work in a unique context at a specific point in time. Well, I mean, again, God being hyper-personal, he didn't make us one size fits all, you know? You but know, I think that, we want that because we were talking about disciple making the other day. And we, we mentioned sometimes we have to tell people who are in sin the truth. It'd be like, and, and, and the response often is, well, we're called not to judge. It's like that is a misreading of the scriptures. And then that would to say that we as parents, when our children are naughty at home and we don't reprove them or correct them, that we're good parents because we didn't judge. We just let them live in their sin, right? That's a great idea, of course, right? Well, yeah, and what I point out to people, I mean, you know, the same, the same, uh, in Matthew's gospel where Jesus says, you know, judge not yet lest you be judged. He also then like a few paragraphs later says, if you find your brother caught in any trespasses, go and tell it to him. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not, take two or three witnesses. If he still does not listen, bring it to the church. And if he still will not listen, let him be as a sinner and attack as a tax collector. So guess what? So uh, the same. So there's uh, clearly those. I mean, it's the same gospel. So clearly, confronting evil and calling it for what it is is not the same thing as judging. Because one thing Christ says not to do, the other thing He says to do. Well, what's what's the what's the purpose behind going and telling your brother? He says it right there to gain your brother back. To you know, God desires not the death of a sinner, but that he should turn from his way and live. To get him back on the path of life for his own good, not so, not for your own self-aggrandizement. Look, we want you restored to life. Come back and live. Uh, I, I mean, and that's that's every last one of those steps is is geared towards that end. How do we get you back? We should be grieved that you're lost, um, which means we should care. You know, I I think. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because I, I don't come from I don't come from a very religious family at all, at all. I could do almost anything with my life, and they would be okay with it. And, and, and to uh, to a lot of people, that sounds good. It's it's not. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I can remember when we, when you and I were at seminary, people who had converted to to orthodoxy from very fervent non-orthodox families who had some other kind of uh, belief, you know, having a lot of conflict with their families. And I'm like, okay, I didn't have any of that conflict, but my family also doesn't really care. By and large, what I believe doesn't matter. You know, it's like, oh, well, you okay, that's nice, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So it's like the, the, the price tag of being okay with whatever you do is none of it means anything. And that's actually really awful. You can't love someone and not care what they do. So don't tell me you love someone and you're okay with whatever they do. I'm sorry. If you love them. The then... soft bigotry of indifference, I heard somebody say today. Oh, my God. That's such a quotable. I've never heard it, but I love it. I think it might have Absolutely been one of the that. Bush presidents, I, I think. Well, I don't know, but it's awesome, man. I, I, I love that. I That's going to be my new slogan. I mean, so it's like, yeah. Like there is, it's, it's the absolute worst thing to, you know, it's the opposite of love. Love would actually, love actually cares about what you do and seeks and, and, and seeks to understand it. You know, it's like that, that's love, you know? So, um, so, you know, for Christ's whole, do not judge. Well, and there, nothing in the gospel asks us to be indifferent. That's a whole other ball of wax. We're, we're commanded to love and not to condemn. I think condemn is a better word than judge. Condemn not. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because then you're taking yeah. the seat and of the judge. You're, you're, you're saying you're going to hell because of this and that. Right. Be careful Which, because by the measure you use, so shall you be weighed right. and measured. Yeah. So we, you know, I, I, and so like, yeah, we're, we're told we should appraise what's happening. We should address what's happening. That's a whole different thing than condemning because again with, with the type of appraisal that christ calls us to you know saying hey if you see your brother in a trespass go and tell it to him and then paul in galatians says if anyone is caught in a trespass you who are spiritual restore him in a spirit of gentleness lest while taking heed to yourselves lest you also be tempted well in each of those instances what's the what's the purpose to restore this person to get you back on track 
and careful, you're no better. Um, and, and, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, the 12th step in AA is what keeps you sober, helping other people. Because you don't get to sit up on your high horse of, you know, 14 years of sobriety saying, hey, I've got this sobriety thing down. Because the next thing you know, you're taking a phone call uh, about a relapse to help a friend who had 18 years of sobriety. Now they're off the wagon. They got to get back on. That happens. And then you've got to humbly look and go, yeah, well, there, there's, if, if, you know, you're like, yeah, that could be me. Well, so guess what? That Like, if, if only we looked at our sins that way. Where it was like, hey, uh, I'm I'm off the spiritual wagon, and if taking heed to myself, I, I could I could end up worse. I mean, my God, maybe you went off the wagon for a day. How do I know that I'd ever get back on? Maybe I'd be off for three years and never make my way back. Both of us need the grace of God. That's how we should deal with each other, and that's what Galatians and Jesus say. So, but that's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. Right. Faithfulness is looking at, at it saying, hey, I want to help you get back on track and I want to get me on track. Faithful, I think then we could say in conclusion that, that as Orthodox Christians and as modern people, that we need to have faith and love so intimately connected in our minds that they almost become synonyms. Is that if, if I do not love a God who has constantly throughout time proved himself faithful to me, I have, I need, I need to get back into, I need to get into a relationship with that loving God. And that if that relationship of love that I have reciprocally with him isn't pouring out into the rest of my life, there's something horribly wrong with my spiritual state. And I need to get right with that, with God again. You know, it's always that drawing back in repentance and re reevaluating where I am with him, that's going to allow his love by the power of the spirit to be poured out into the world, offering genuine works of faith, genuine salvific works into the world, genuine works that will be for the salvation and glorification ultimately of our great God and savior. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, uh, thank you so much, father Joseph. This was a, it's a great conversation, and um, I pray that God's grace will help you and I to be faithful to it. So we're so it's not like so it's not just a podcast. Hopefully, it's it's our own faithfulness uh, fleshed out into our lives. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That paradoxical offering of self-will in order to receive selflessness on behalf of the world, right, and glory of to the glory of God ultimately to the glory of God. All right. God bless you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. May the Holy Trinity bless and protect you always. Keep fighting the good fight. We'll see you next time on the battlefield. Don't forget to uh, check us out on YouTube and Rumble for those OTB shorts. Like and subscribe, please. And then tell people about these podcasts if they've helped you wherever you find them, whether it be on Google or Apple or Anchor or any number of the Gosh, I don't even know how many we're on anymore. It's innumerable to me. But thank you for listening. God bless you and keep you and be safe and strong out there on the battlefield.